Hello. Hi. This is my best friend, Jen, and she used to have an orange living room. I did. I didn't paint it myself. I moved into it. It was already orange. When I say orange, it was orange. Yeah, it was like um, orange. Like Tropicana fruit. Orange. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it's not an ice cream. It's a... Sherbert? Yes. I think it's oranger than orange sherbet. Yeah, maybe it was. Orange sherbet feels pastel to me. Well. Anyway. Anyway, yeah. It was a very colorful house, and that was part of what drew us to it. But mm-hmm. um, this is my best friend, Kelly, and she used to have a recurring nightmare about Ghostface, the killer from Scream. I did. Spooky. That was what, when we were talking about the nervous system, and you talked about going to mm-hmm. a scary movie, because when we went to see Scream... I was like, oh, what if somebody's in here in a ghost face mask and going to jump out and scare us? And then when I got home, I was like, I got to shut all of the blinds. No one's getting in. So Kelly and I went and saw the new Scream movie like two weeks ago. And you could not, there, our responses to this movie were so vastly different. Because Kelly's <laughs> like, oh my God. And I'm like, what? Like, it's fine. <laughs> this is so scary. I'm like, I mean, it's all right. <laughs> like the movie was very good, but I am not easily scared. So. It was so good. Oh, so good. Highly recommend. Like nine or 10 out of 10 almost. Oh, yeah. If you like the franchise and have love for it, if you're going just for a viewing of the movie itself, then you might not get it because it's very meta. Mm -hmm. I just love, I, last night I was watching the original Scream because it was on TV and there is something just so, I think why I like that franchise so much is the meta part of it, how mm-hmm. they're like, they're talking about scary movies as they're in a scary movie. Like that to me is, I love it. And Ghostface is so scary because he runs all like fast and crazy <laughs> and so stabby. It's just. She's whoop. miming all the movements as she's saying that. Yes. Very stabbing. His weapon of choice is a knife. In the first one, whenever um, Billy Loomis like has to stab Stu, and then Stu's like, "I'm dying!" Spoiler alert, jeez, uh, Jen, I'm dying here, man. Y'all, it came out in like the '90s. I'm dying here, man. That part is so. And whenever he's like, "My mom and dad are gonna be so mad." Matthew at me. Lillard is really the star of that movie. <laughs> he is, and you know what? Whatever happened to him? Poor guy. He's, um, he was on that show, Good Girls, the show with Christina Hendricks and um, Retta and No. Yeah, he was Christina Hendricks' husband on that show. That might be enough for me to tune in. That show's actually pretty good. It looks good. I think I've seen like one episode. You know what other movie that he was in that was really scary was 13 Ghosts. Oh, yeah. I and thought you were going to say Scooby-Doo. <laughs> <laughs> ruh raggy Scooby-Doo is really scary, too. <laughs> What's the um, Skull Island or whatever that they're on? I don't know. I've actually never seen those. The new Scooby-Doo stuff. But 13 ghosts when they're in that glass house and they like have all the ghosts in the different rooms or whatever. Oh, that movie is scary. It is really scary. Yeah, I love scary movies. Every time I think of 13 ghosts, I also think of Ghost Ship. Oh, Ghost Ship. In the beginning when they all get sliced in half. Yeah. Lord. For some reason, when I was in high school and Ghost Ship was in the theaters, I saw it three times. And I don't know why. I mean, like, I think that's an enjoyable But you won't watch Titanic? (laughs) Weird. Don't get me started. (laughs) And I'm thinking, like, what were the events that I watched that movie? I think I, like, saw it with one group of friends and then another group of friends. And then maybe we saw it, like, at the free movie theater on base or something was matthew lillard in that movie too who's in that movie um juliana margulies is in that movie but i don't know who the like male lead would be imdb will tell me 
God, I forgot about that movie, though. The poster for it is so sketch. Oh, and when I turned up, pulled up IMDb, they had a picture of it. The new Jurassic World trailer. Did you watch it? Yes. I also can't wait to see, um, which you know this because this was happening. We saw it preview whenever we were watching Scream. But um, why? How did Robert Pattinson get cast as Batman? I'm so intrigued by this. I don't get it, but I can't wait to see it. I don't have much of a thought or opinion about it. I love Batman. That's one of my... It's one of my favorites. Gabriel Byrne. That's what I thought. Is the oh, man yeah. Oh, I do like I wonder him. who the little girl... Is. This is now a movie podcast. <laughs> um, Only specifically about Ghost Ship, though. Emily Browning. Wasn't she in a series of misfortunate events? Yeah. Yep. Gosh. Mm-hmm. You're so smart. Um, But the new Jurassic World trailer with the OG3 is in there. Uh, it's going to be so great. It really is. I can't wait. I do actually think that the movie itself might be kind of dumb, but having the three of them back together is going to be. What I do not like as um, it is Olympic season right now, and I love the Olympics. Um, I don't understand the commercials that keep running where it is Jurassic world with the Olympics. Like I, and my husband was like, well, the Olympics are on. They're just trying to advertise Jurassic world. And I was like, yes, thank you. I understand that. But why are there people who are like ice skating and then a dinosaur is there? Dinosaurs don't live in the cold. I haven't seen any of those commercials, but I went They're to weird. I went to visit my aunt and she was explaining all these different commercials about like skiers and being thousands of skiers and stuff. And so I'm wondering if any of them were Jurassic World ones. I don't know. Interesting. Hmm. We've got to move on. What yes. are we even talking about? <laughs> We're talking about triggers. Today. Congratulations if you've made it this far. Oh gosh, you're the true fans. That's how we that's how we screen you out. We are talking about triggers today. And warning signs. And warning signs. So, uh, what is a trigger? Do you want me to define it, or do you want to define it? Um, I think you look quite legit. I'm taking it out. I'll, I'll do I it. She's, I can't. I'm taking it out. We're still out. having eyeball issues um, <sighs> here. So, ooh, feel, she she feels liberated. <laughs> so much better. I was very triggered by this contact. Am I going to have to drive you home now? No, I have the other one in. <laughs> She's just going to drive. What's anyway. in it? I wish we had a microscope. Man, okay. Triggers, trigger? triggers are um, stimulus information that set off emotional or physiological or both reactions that a person has based on their previous experience. So, for example, um, how we talked about the nervous system stuff last week, and I gave the example of like if you had if you were at a grocery store and someone robbed it wearing a red jacket, and then you saw someone wearing a red jacket while you were walking your dog and got distressed, the person wearing the red jacket would be the trigger. So that is an example. <laughs> she just dropped the, it's on the side of the I table know, it's right here. Um, yes, in the simplest of terms, triggers are people, places, things, or events and situations. There you go. <laughs> Thanks for listening. I will say working in the field of substance use, like we talk about triggers ad nauseum um, because we're wanting to understand them. That way we can make better choices because usually um, the trigger happens. And then after that is where the intervention has to come in. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we're having some kind of thought and some kind of like emotional response. And that's where we have to do the intervention. So understanding our triggers are really important and not just for substance use, but yeah. for whatever starts happening emotionally that is elicited by the trigger. Yeah. So a trigger is some, like some stimulus that is going to. Will you just, will you take it away? Yeah. 
Thank you. Oh, now I'm going to play with it because I've never <laughs> touched it a contact before. Um, triggers are going to be something that like st- starts a chain reaction essentially in that you can kind of anticipate what will happen afterwards based on patterns, right? So like with yes. substance use, it's like, okay, if I go to, if I'm trying to, um, you know, abstain from alcohol use and I go to the bar where I normally drink, I can, you know, assume that without an intervention, I might drink because I've been triggered based on being at the place. So it's like a chain of events and the trigger is kind of the start to that. Yes. Especially with substance use, because a lot of times a trigger elicits a craving. Mm -hmm. And again, like to go back to our last episode, like there's, or I guess just to kind of touch on that, like there's something biologically that is happening. There's a pathway in our brain that is like, Ooh, this equals this. Mm -hmm. So this is what kind of comes before this event or my way of behaving. And so our brain's just trying to follow that pathway. Yep. Um, so triggers can be connected to anything like they can trigger anxiety. They can trigger cravings. They can trigger depression. They can trigger, trigger like the use of a coping skill. I also think Triggers can be something that elicit positive or non-distressing mm-hmm. um, emotions and experiences, but we also sometimes will call that like behavior activation or something like that. So like, mm-hmm. oh, when I hear this song, like that triggers me to feel really happy or it makes me think mm-hmm. about this time or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I think it's really important to talk about both. Um, One thing that I'll say to my husband sometimes is I'll be like, oh, come here. I need oxytocin. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so he knows that means that like I want back scratches or to be hugged or like come lay down with me because I'm like trigger something nice. (laughs) Um, So that's another way to kind of use the the, that language and what I would say like the inverse because it's usually not the typical way that we're thinking about it. Yeah. And I think it's another reason it's important to talk about it being both is because I think that can help it feel less um, of a mountain to climb when you're talking Mm -hmm. about trying to like heal mental health stuff or, you know, just start new behaviors or whatever. It's like the mechanism in your brain that is like trigger response, trigger response, like it's going to be there for both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. So that you are like, you're already, one step ahead by having a mechanism in place is just changing the mechanism to do something different rather than developing an entirely new brain system that doesn't exist or something. So like reminding people that they have this part of the skill already in them. Yeah. Well, and we talk so much about information and data and how important that is to our healing process and understanding your triggers is so incredibly important because if we understand what initially elicits a certain response from us, then we can help adapt the response for something that's going to be more helpful um, Mm -hmm. to ourselves. And a lot of times we have some understanding of our trigger, right? So even if you haven't sat down and done like intense work about triggers, like you probably have understanding of like, wow, my family really stresses me out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So your family's a trigger. (laughs) Now let's take that deeper. Okay, so I want to go spend the weekend with my family because I love them and I want to spend time with them and we're going to celebrate this thing or whatever. So, okay, so what about that trip home is going to elicit the stress response in me? Is it, well, when my mom asks me if I'm dating someone, is that what's stressful? Because now I'm thinking, now I... I'm triggered about her expectations on me and how I'm not meeting expectations. Like we can always kind of take that a step deeper to be like, okay, what's the greater detail of what actually in the situation is it that's eliciting the stress response? I also 
think that it's helpful to understand this is going to sound kind of like obvious, but to understand what, what your triggers are so you can then understand what is being triggered. Mm-hmm. So like you were just saying, okay, the trigger is mom asking me about dating, mm-hmm. but what is being triggered is my feeling like I'm not living up to her expect my belief mm-hmm. that I'm not living up to her expectations of like being married by this age or whatever. Yeah. And I think that especially when we're talking about trauma treatment and nervous system kind of stuff, the mm-hmm. I, a lot of people can recognize that they are triggered, but sometimes have a hard time knowing like what wound is being triggered. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the language that I would use. It's like, okay, you, you know that like when you get in a fight with this person at work, like you get really activated and all that kind of stuff, but what is the wound that is being triggered? Yeah, what is the belief yeah. about yourself? Um, and it's usually going to be back to one of those kind of three core ones that we talked about last time of like, I'm bad, I'm not good enough, or I'm not safe. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Which in an earlier episode, whenever we were talking about CBT, we were talking, right, there's an antecedent. So there's a trigger and then we have an automatic thought and then we have an emotional response. And then usually that ends in a behavior. Um, so a lot of times like Kelly's saying, it's like, okay, so that's going to trigger some kind of thought, right? That's the first step, which is I'm not living up to mom's expectations. Okay. But yeah, then what does that mean about my belief about myself that I'm not good enough? I'm unworthy for a partner. I'm not good enough for my mom. I'm a failure. I'm a fail. Like, yeah, I'm a failure. And then also you can kind of part like piece that out to be like, okay, so what are then the values that my mom has? Right. So like being an adult and being a productive member of society means I have to have a partner means I have to be married. And then what is that belief about ourselves? Is it, do I feel like a failure because I'm not married or do I feel like I'm a failure to my mom because I'm not meeting her expectation? Like the trigger is just, again, it's that first part for us to understand all the deeper things that come kind of after that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Triggers can lead to all sorts of different things. They can lead to substance use. They can lead to a depressive episode. They can lead to a panic attack. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people aren't able to know what their trigger or when, a, let's say it this way, when people are trying to figure out what their triggers are, will often do like a, um, especially with substance use, like you can do a recurrence dissection, right? Mm-hmm. So like this idea of, all right, I just had a recurrence of substance use and like I drank or whatever. So let's back it up and kind of start from the drinking and move backwards throughout the night or the day or the week ahead of time or whatever Mm -hmm. and figured out what are the chain of events that set off this behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what internally was happening like within ourselves and then what externally was happening in the environment or had other people engaged? Mm -hmm. I will say last week I had a very tough week and thanks so much to Kelly and Nicole for continuously checking on me and giving me like all the hype vibes because it was just not a good time. And it started on Monday when I was very much triggered at work and then could not move past that. Like once I was in that emotional state and recognized that I had quite literally no tolerance for what was happening around me, (laughs) it was like, okay, how can I now, my coping skill honestly was like, how can I be kind to myself and how can I just do almost like the bare minimum. Like I was just in survival mode. Like I need to come to work and do what I need to do. And that's all that needs to happen because that's all I'm able to give at this time. Mm -hmm. And I was very aware of my trigger, but then also as the week went on and I was still kind of in this place of 
having that same like emotional response, it wasn't very helpful for me to keep going back to that trigger or spending a lot of time there because that was keeping me stuck. Mm -hmm. Like I know what had upset me that put me in the place that I was in. And I had to be very careful about how I chose to be like, to go back to understand the response of that. Cause at that point, if I already understood it, I didn't need to keep going back to it. Cause that's where we get, I think into the self-indulgent place of mm -hmm. like, they said this and then I said that, and then this happened. And it's like, I don't need to keep recounting that because it's keeping me angry. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I describe that with clients a lot is like, okay, you can visit that place, but you don't want to live there. Mm -hmm. You don't want to set up camp or whatever. Um, makes me think of a session that I had recently where we were discussing like, what's the difference between gossiping and seeking support. Mm. Um, and just like the idea of, okay, is the thing actually helping you and why is it helping you? And this is maybe not a trigger necessarily conversation, but what you were talking about, like once you figure out what caused the distress, that's all we need to know about it. Yeah. Um, the part that needs processing is the response to the distress mm. or the um, like action that you can take in the future to mm -hmm. deal with it differently or whatever. So once the trigger, just identifying the trigger is really all you need to do about it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and also I think that in a lot of people's path for recovery or healing, we get told, or I think there's a lot of messaging about like, we need to avoid our triggers mm -hmm. and that's not entirely true. Or that's just being oversimplifying. I think of that situation because the reality is as a human, you cannot avoid all of your triggers. Right. I mean, there are certain things like if I am a person in recovery from substance use disorder, I I do need to avoid going to a bar. Like that's, that's not a healthy place for me to be, mm -hmm. but there are probably going to be people or situations that are going to be triggering to me that I can't actually avoid. And so I have to work through what happens when I feel triggered and how can I have a response for myself that sets me up for success rather than leading me into a place where I'm more likely to use a substance again. Yeah. Understanding what your triggers are and what they make you feel mm -hmm. help you to pair the appropriate coping skill mm -hmm. with it. Um, with the idea of avoidance of, tr of triggers, even with substance abuse, like, yeah, the idea of, I don't need to go to a bar and different schools of thought might have different opinions of this, but like, is that something that you're going to commit that you're never going to step foot inside of a bar ever again? Oh yeah. Versus like, okay, when, when my recovery is early and I don't mm -hmm. have these coping skills in place, yes, I should probably stay away from bars. Once I've had sobriety, for a couple of years or however long based on your program or whatever, and your best friends are getting married and you want to go to their wedding. Like what do you need to put in place to deal with the fact that you will be in a bar and that mm -hmm. might still be a trigger. So does that mean that you like bring your own soda water or that you only stay for an hour or, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. So understanding your triggers and also how they might change over time based on the context of your situation. Oh, yeah, which I think is very true, because early on in most people's healing, I think we have to be very sensitive to what the, those things are. And we might have more rigid boundaries about some of right. those things because our our emotional safety is so important at that time. And not that it becomes less important, but I think it's less sensitive mm -hmm. about what things make us feel unsafe. And again, with avoidance of triggers, like the, depending on what we're t like, so substance use is, you know, different when you're then trauma, for example, if you have PTSD, avoidance of things is actually one of the diagnostic criteria for PTSD. So mm -hmm. the idea of avoiding all of your triggers is really only 
enforcing your symptomology of the illness that you're trying to heal. Yeah. Especially because with um, someone who has a trauma history, a lot of triggers are, I mean, some of the things we've named before, right? People, places, things, situations, events, but also we have a lot of, because there's such a biological response to trauma, a lot of times they're sensory based. Mm -hmm. And so we can't avoid (laughs) um, anything that sounds like this or any, right. Like um, I know like, for a lot of people um, hearing an ambulance or something like Mm -hmm. there's no way we can realistically avoid hearing an ambulance. Right. Because it happens when we don't expect it. Like, yeah, the physical location of my office is one street over from the headquarters of the fire department. And so I am very obviously aware of that because I can't hear it all the time, but I also let clients know, especially if, if their trauma has to do with like a car accident or something Mm -hmm. like, okay, like we might even be doing EMDR or processing those things and you might hear the sirens. And so like, I'm not going to move my office. Like that is not realistic. So. Well, and that I think also brings up that idea of a lot of times what happens in the therapeutic space is we do some of that pendulation, right? So we do, we want to go and be like, okay, let's touch this thing that feels distressing. And sometimes that means let's maybe do a trigger in the session, Mm -hmm. right? Because I could imagine someone who has, um, is symptomatic for PTSD being in your office and maybe, yeah, they had some kind of trauma that was related to a first responder situation and hearing that that siren in your office could be so incredibly helpful because then you can work through it. They can work through it in a safe space with you, a safe person rather than, Oh no, I'm just driving home and suddenly I hear a siren and I'm being triggered in my car Yep. where I would imagine that could be a lot more difficult. Yep. Definitely. Mm. Um, what are other ways that we work with triggers in sessions? Mm. Well, I think a lot of times it's that stress response piece. So I know in our last episode I was talking about, Um, I had touched on something and made that connection for my client. And she was like, oh, oh, no. Oh, like this is pushing on something that I didn't know was going to do that. And she had that response of flight. She was Mm -hmm. like, I want to get up and leave your office right now. And she didn't. And we are proud of her for that. And so we were then able to work through that together. Right. Because even though she didn't leave, I wasn't like, well, let's just change the subject. And in some situations that may, ha- that could be um, an appropriate response of like, okay, I'm seeing that this is too much for us today. So we might want to work on or move into something else. But instead we went a little bit deeper into that together and were able to help with some healing and de-escalation. So that way, then by the time it was, she did leave my office, she wasn't still in that same state of emotional arousal. Mm-hmm. She had already come down from it, which is a lot more helpful and healthy of a place for her to be driving home from session than had she just left my office and been really um, like excitable in in that state. So a lot of times it's just like, we're talking about the thing that's distressing. Mm -hmm. And again, as far as like exposure goes, the more that we talk about the thing, like the more tolerable we can do to it, but it's not just that we're bringing it up. It's we're looking, we're analyzing all the things around it, right? What is, What's the self-talk that's coming up with that? How are we feeling inside of our body? It's connecting all of those things to have that integrated approach of physically, this is what's coming up. Emotionally, mentally, this is coming up. And we're doing healing for both those things at the same time. Yeah. And I think that it helps people experience a little bit of a sense of control from this idea of, okay, Mm -hmm. if a trigger is introduced whether it is expected or unexpected, but I have practice in 
responding to it, then the trigger loses some of its power because part of why triggers are distressing for people is because they are fearful that they will lose control. So Mm -hmm. if you have experience with like, well, I did this in Jen's office and I was able to be okay and like talk about this situation or whatever. So if I, you know, see the guy in the red jacket or whatever, I can deal with that. It doesn't mean it won't be distressing anymore, but it does mean that a person might feel more confident in their ability to respond to those things. And mm-hmm. um, I feel like I'm just kind of saying the same thing as you in a different way, but. Well, and I think this goes back to like how important it is to have a win. Mm-hmm. Cause sometimes we just need a win to know that like, okay, we can do it. Yeah. And so if the little win can come in the office and then when you experience it, maybe later on in a different situation or setting and, and on your own, you do have that little piece of like, okay, I did it before. Yep. And even though it's not exactly like what I'm experiencing now, which rarely will it ever be like, okay, I know I can work through this. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of shift a little bit and talk about, you know, I I can't remember when we did our co-opting the clinical episode, if we talked about triggers a sense of in that episode, but um, the idea that like the word triggered has been used in a political and social Mm -hmm. way to, criticize folks or to attack people who have different beliefs than the other side does. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, for example, like there's a lot of memes about like, insert whatever political party here being triggered by something that the other political party is doing or saying. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons that that's harmful is because it's making fun of something that is actually very real. Um, Mm -hmm. For example, when, um, I'm like, this is part of it. We're also going to talk about trigger warnings and if they're useful or not. So like trigger, trigger warning, warning. <laughs> about to talk about sexual assault. Um, the idea that when Brett Kavanaugh was being nominated to the Supreme court, like a lot of people who had never been to therapy before for sexual assault in the past started getting activated by that and noticing that they were having symptoms that they had either never had before or, had not ever connected it with being Mm -hmm. with their sexual assault and things like that. Like I definitely got a few clients around that time for stuff that had happened years and years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the idea that what's happening in the world on the, the big stage, I guess you can say can be a window into distress for a person based on their own personal experiences, even if they've never met Brett Kavanaugh before or whatever. Yeah. Well, and I remember, I don't think I've talked about this on mic, but Um, whenever the 2020 election was going on and I had to have some rules for myself around like, do not read or watch anything about the Republican National Convention because a lot of the conservative views felt very triggering to me. And like, (laughs) I did it. I clicked on the news link because I was like, what the fuck is this shit? I was see, already, that would have been when it would have been good to avoid it. <laughs> yeah, but see, I didn't do that. And I clicked on it and I was horribly triggered. And I actually had to like leave work because I was so activated by something that I read and it just like got me all in my feels. And so, yeah, that was one of those situations of like, I kind of went to that self-indulgent place of like, I know that this isn't going to be good for me, but I already feel angry and I kind of want to be angry about it. Mm-hmm. So let me then spend my time doing that. Um I don't even know where I'm going sharing Come that, back. But just Come like, back. Uh, yeah, because now I'm like, huh, that's just really fucked up. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think that's a good example of how 
even knowing our trigger, sometimes we can still mm-hmm. engage with them because we want to, like, that's something that's happening in our brain, right? Of this idea of like, you know, it produces a craving or whatever yeah. is like, you want to feel validated for your mm-hmm. experience and your feelings. And so it makes sense that like, if you were pissed off about a political you know, position on a s- issue mm-hmm. and you read something that only validates that, then yeah, there, there's a secondary gain there of like, I'm getting distressed about this yet. I'm also feeling really validated. Well, and I, th- yeah, I think you're right. And I know we've talked before about like how anger is not always a negative thing because a lot of times it's how we find our power again. And I think for me in that situation, I was feeling powerful of being like, Oh, here's a reason for me to go off about this thing. That's really important to me when even though that was true, that wasn't serving me well in that moment, but there was something self-indulgent about like, it was making me feel powerful mm-hmm. um, about like my viewpoint and my voice. And it was funny because it was like totally preaching to the choir. Cause of course people I surround myself with have very similar values and viewpoints as I do, but it was also unproductive. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of that piece of like, okay, that might be a trigger. That's a good Example of a trigger to avoid. Like if you know that you and your family, you and your parents have opposing views on something specific, like we don't need to sit there and try to have the same argument again and again because it's unproductive. Like if we both have an understanding that the viewpoint is different and unlikely or just never going to change, why would we then continue to engage in conversation about it when it upsets everybody? So I think when we know something's going to be unproductive, it's like, then that is something to probably be avoided. It's also interesting. Like, so my brother and I, this was, I guess, last summer when he came to visit, like we have similar, if not the same perspectives on things. And we were kind of just, we were watching the news and discussing like, everything's in the shitter or whatever. And we ended up getting in a huge fight because we were both getting really activated about the stuff that we were watching. Mm -hmm. And then we have different, approaches on how we deal with our distress about those Mm. things and like i said some really mean stuff to him and like it was horrible my Mm. parents were like oh my god what the like what is (laughs) happening and we were on the same side but because we were so activated by our triggers about this other stuff it resulted in this big fight with a person that i really care about and so that's another good example of like no this is not helpful to be (laughs) engaging with this information right now and knowing when to cut things off Mm. It was really rough. Oh, gosh. To go back to kind of the road you initially were leading us down about how people try to, like, kind of co-opt that idea of things being triggering, I think, yes, it's it's attempting to minimize the importance of something and the importance of how that can elicit a response from Mm -hmm. someone. Because really, I mean, we can talk about triggers to anger and all of that stuff, but when we, I think, really are talking about the word triggering, we mean that that's going to elicit a response to someone that's activating a symptom of their mental health. And that is not something that I think we need to be minimizing or taking lightly or, or anything even related to that. Yeah. There's a difference kind of between like, Oh, you know, getting cut off in traffic results in me feeling angry versus getting cut off in traffic triggers my like PTSD symptoms or something like those are two different things and Mm -hmm. they both matter but one is more severe or intense than something else and um it's important to not minimize that because then i think that goes like well everyone gets mad when they get cut off in traffic like well yeah maybe but also is it resulting in like 
having car accidents or, you know, whatever. So. Yeah. Yeah. The extent of what that is. Mm-hmm. It's also really interesting when, and I think this happens to a lot of people who have done a lot of healing when further down the road from something, they have a surprise trigger mm-hmm. of something. And this happened to me within the past year where I was watching a new television show and a character on the show looked very much like someone who has been like a perpetrator of emotional abuse for me. And I was like, very thrown by it. I was mm-hmm. like, Oh my God, like I, and and the trigger was so immediate and so powerful. And I was like, Whoa, 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 whoa. like what is happening? You know, and it's, ha- I'm like at home watching TV. So it was also happening in a way that like, just, I had not anticipated any of it. Mm-hmm. And then it forced me to kind of do some self-reflection on like, oh, okay, is this like, well, I'm having a trigger because we can do lots of healing, but some things still feel distressing to us, like no matter how much healing that we do, or is this like a cue to me to be like, there needs to be more like work that has to be done Mm -hmm. around Mm -hmm. that. And sometimes it does mean there's more work to be done. And sometimes it's like, well, as a human, just sometimes things are going to take us back to that place and let's acknowledge it and honor it and hold space for it and then continue to move forward. That's, I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that's a good example of like what brings people to therapy in the first mm-hmm. place is that they have an experience. Like usually when we do an assessment, we'll be like, so like why therapy? Why now? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Or what's the catalyst event that brought you here or whatever. Um, and depending on the situation, like if someone is watching TV and they realize, oh my God, I'm reacting to this thing, but it's something that they can manage, then maybe mm-hmm. they don't need further healing on it. But if it's like, you know, I saw this on TV and then it bothered me for three weeks and I can't stop thinking about it. And anytime Mm -hmm. I turn on the TV, I'm afraid that person's going to be on there or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, yeah, like that's a reason to go to therapy and expand on that. So, well, and then also, and we were talking about this in prep for today's episode of that piece of sometimes someone's done a lot of really great hearing and they're healing healing and um and maybe they're kind of in the maintenance phase of therapy where like they've really done a lot of the bulk of the work and now we're just working on like you know maintaining the health and wellness that they've created and and just some more like focus sessions on self-care or using therapy as a form of self-care and then suddenly they have like a depressive episode and they're like what the fuck like i don't understand this i felt like i was healing so well and like i don't understand what triggered it and it's like well, sometimes that's just going to happen if you're a person like living with depression or like sometimes, right. Someone may be talking about how, how they've been feeling very activated as far as their anxiety, but they can't pinpoint what exactly it was. And sometimes that's like, that's, that's just going to happen as someone living with a mental health disorder. And also sometimes it's not that we were specifically triggered, but there may be some things happening of like, well, you're having a stressful week. So that impacted you getting enough sleep. And then because you've been so busy at work, you were unable to like, you, you weren't able to take lunch that day. And so some of the self-care stuff then impacted your ability to like maintain your level of functioning that you had been. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that's like a trigger. Those are more of the warning signs kind of thing though. Yes. Yes. And it's like, sometimes that's just going to happen because you are still a human like living with a mental health disorder. Mm-hmm. And so. Yeah. Like when, when I worked with substance use and still now too, without it being specific to substance use, but the, I, we talked about like the recurrence dissection thing. And mm-hmm. so part of that is, yeah, what are the triggers, but also what are warning signs that I saw and mm-hmm. ignored or warning signs that I didn't see. And so something like not getting enough sleep, like that would be probably a warning sign that 
only in retrospect you would recognize of like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I, I should be aware in the future of when I'm not getting enough sleep. I have a lower tolerance. My, yeah. my window of tolerance shrinks because I don't have as much sleep or if I didn't eat lunch or whatever. So yeah. And that's um, a lot of times how I talk to people about the difference between triggers and warning signs. Warning signs are a lot of times um, those things that are happening that we might be able to suss out that like, this is what we're experiencing or someone else maybe close to us might be like, I'm noticing these things about you. And a lot of times as these things I'm noticing add up, it usually means then there's a response or a reaction that ends up happening um, that may not be the result that we want. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if we're unable to take care of ourselves in a way that we usually do of making sure that we're eating and hydrating, moving our bodies, getting enough sleep, like that's a a warning sign. I know for me, um, sometimes when I have bouts of my insomnia, I'll be like, okay, where am I in my cycle? Because usually I have a week there that sleep is a miss for me. Um, But I'll be like, damn, I have not been sleeping well for the past three days. Like I I know that's a stress response for me. And and sometimes I didn't even know that I was stressed until I recognize Mm -hmm. my lack of sleep as a warning sign. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I talk with, especially with depression, I think I talk a lot about warning signs and this might sound weird coming from me since I always talk about how I never clean, but, um, talking with clients about like what are your proverbial like dishes piling up in the sink yeah so you know you may not especially if you're busy and not getting enough Mm -hmm. sleep or whatever it's like you might notice when you get home from work on friday and so just if this is not the norm for you (laughs) this is the norm for me but if it's not the norm for you to like have dishes in your sink and when you get home on friday you're like oh my god all my dishes from all week are here but i've been so busy that i'm not attuned to how i feel yeah it might be like oh this is a warning sign that if i am not giving some doing some self-care a depressive episode could be around the corner Mm -hmm. so it's like oh it's not quite here but you're at risk yeah um and so what are other examples of like things that are dishes piling up in the sink. It could be like, you know, if you usually have a pretty regular, like I walk the dog every day cause it's good for the dog. It's good for me, you know, whatever. And if it's like, oh, man, I haven't walked the dog in like four days and I emotionally think I feel okay, but like, what's that about? Or, yeah. you know, what are some other things that you think you might notice mm. as warning signs? Yeah. I think for some people it can be like oversleeping. Like if mm. you've been late to work or, um, if you're staying up later, because, you know, we're trying to get those hours back at the end of the day. Um, also, if you're just feeling a lot less tolerant or patient with other things. So you're recognizing that your capacity for other people um, is a little bit like lowered or diminished of, wow, usually I have a lot of patience or a lot of grace for people like if they're five minutes late to something or if they have a lot of questions. And right now I'm just like, I am not able to give people extra time for any of those things. Like, okay, that sounds like a stress response. And so, you know, that might be leading us to other things. Um, Or if we stop kind of prioritizing things that we normally do, which uh, that's kind of what you were Mm -hmm. speaking to and just realizing that we don't have the mental capacity to do that. I think also paying attention to um, if you notice like there's a trend in the kind of content you're consuming. So not only the amount that you're consuming, but if it's like, man, I have done nothing but watch serial killer documentaries for a month. Like maybe you need a stand up thing in there or something because just stuff that's really heavy and dark 
is going to contribute to. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that as a person who watches a lot of serial killer documentaries, <laughs> like, but it, you can't watch it all the time. Yeah. Um, or if you're listening to music that you only, that rem- back to triggering, right? Like if mm-hmm. I'm listening to the sad album of my breakup from when I was in high school or whatever, it's like, oh, what's going on there? And just yeah. noticing how you're spending your time really. Yeah. Oh gosh. I think that's a really good point. I was just thinking that because last I had said last week, like, oh, I'm really running like behind on my reading goal for the Mm -hmm. year. I've only read 22 books so far. I think I'm on 23 or 24. Um, But normally I'd be further along and like, I know I'm stressed out because I'm not making time to read and I'd rather come home and like take a shower and go to bed Mm -hmm. than spend time doing something that to me is usually self-care and a healthy leisure skill because I don't have capacity for it. Mm -hmm. But also I know that I need the sleep Mm -hmm. like that. It's not... I think rest for me this past week has been more important than the reading, but that still is telling me like, wow, you, you are really stressed out. Right. And if something doesn't change in the upcoming week or whatever, Mm -hmm. that you're going to be more at risk for more issues. Yeah. Yeah. Some of that also can be like, if you start like isolating. So if there's some withdrawal stuff going on, so I mean like withdrawal, withdrawing from other people. So maybe we're talking to our friends less. We're not wanting to spend as much time with our partner or something like that. Mm -hmm. So some of that disconnection, um, I know for a lot of my clients, that's usually the first sign I will notice for them is I'm like, Ooh, it sounds like you're, and sometimes we might even justify that as like, I think I really need that space to disconnect. And then it's okay. Where's the line between I need to disconnect. So that way I can rest and kind of like, recoup versus you're isolating yourself from other people. And that can be hard to discern sometimes. Yeah. I think another, another thing that's popping in my head while you were talking and it connects with that is like, what are the, how to handle warning signs when you're a person who lives by yourself versus when you're a person who lives with someone else. Oh my gosh. Good point. And the (laughs) idea like, so if stuff was going on with you, like Travis would notice and ask you Mm -hmm. like, what's going on. But like I could, be here by myself and have every dish on. Like, I mean, literally like all my clothes are over there. They're clean though. I just need to fold them, but like no one could notice. Yeah. And so that's why I said we have to get Zoe a cell phone. <laughs> Got to get her. So, yeah. Um, but I think it makes it a little harder sometimes for people who live alone because they have to be, they don't have to, it would be beneficial to be more self-aware of what your warning signs and stuff are. So mm-hmm. you can kind of have that conversation with yourself that, like others might be like, I can talk to myself the way that Travis maybe would talk to you about like, mm-hmm. Hey Kel, what's going on? Like, it seems like you haven't walked the dog for four days versus somebody yeah. else pointing it out. And with the isolating, I think at least for me, if I am trying to isolate and not respond v- out of depression versus like, I need time to rest and recoup, I would, s- I would respond the first time. Right. And say like, Hey, just so you know, I'm taking some time for myself. So if Mm -hmm. I don't respond, I'm not ignoring you. I'm just like doing my own thing versus if I was completely withdrawing, it would, I wouldn't respond to anything. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. So that would be a way for me to be able to tell the difference between those two things. I think another big one for a lot of people and again, I experienced this last week was, (laughs) it's just like apathy towards things. Um, Like I know at work last week, I was like, I can't care about that. Uh, I can't care about that either. And suddenly I was like, wow, I don't want to care about anything having to be work related. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a big sign of just we we don't have the capacity to care about things that we normally would or maybe even to function with something like we normally would. Like, I don't care about my kids lunch this week. Like, yep. I don't care. Right. Just what are those pieces that we would normally prioritize that now we don't? 
Um, and then also maybe some like irrational or like illogical thinking, like, okay, now I'm starting to connect things together that might not go together. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm having a stress response. I'm not in a good place. And now anytime Kelly says something to me that feel that would normally never feel like rejection, I'm now thinking is linked to rejection. She doesn't like me. She's mad at me. Like, okay, that might also be telling me that my perception of things is off because now I'm having a very specific outlook about information that I'm receiving from other people. Yeah. Being more sensitive to things mm-hmm. that you're not normally as sensitive to. Yeah. Mm. So what do we do with it whenever we notice warning signs or triggers? Oh, what do we do? We go back and listen to the coping skills episode from <laughs> three weeks ago. Uh, number one. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is that piece yeah, of it. You use it's, coping skills. Uh, you use your coping skills. You ask for help. You make your therapy appointment a priority or maybe move up your appointment or something like that. And maybe also make time to connect with other people. Mm-hmm. And boundaries of mm-hmm. like you know, taking things off your plate if you can, or Mm -hmm. like that idea of, okay, I don't care about my kids' lunches. Well, maybe I, but I still need to feed my kids. I don't know. Part of me is like, I think that this is a time where people who are with others can maybe go under the radar a little longer. And like, that's where that high functioning stuff comes in. So it's Mm -hmm. like, I don't care about my kids' lunches, but they still have to eat food. So I do it anyway, or Mm -hmm. I give them money or or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But so being aware that like that could be nuanced, but my suggestion was going to be like, get the need met in a way that requires less effort from you. Like you can give them money for lunch or get them fast food or whatever. Well, I think it's also really important for us to have a good understanding and attunement to ourselves when we are functioning really well, because then we'll know when we're in a place that, Mm -hmm. that we're not doing that. I know how important that is also for like having a good understanding of, your physical self when you're at your healthiest. That way you know, like, oh no, this is weird for me. Yeah. I don't normally get a rash in this area. So that means it's <laughs> bad. Um, but that's the same th- same thing for your mental health. Like, okay, this normally stresses me out, but if I oh, y'all, you ever had an eye twitch from stress? There <laughs> yeah. Right? Then you're like, oh shit. Okay, no, this is beyond like something that's just normally a level of stress for me or, or yeah. Whatever. Or like if your digestion is messed up or mm-hmm. yeah, I, I like how you bring up that warning signs can be physiological things that you may mm-hmm. not connect with something else like sleep, for example, or digestion mm-hmm. or whatever. The thing about something else we were saying, made me think about it yesterday. I was texting you about like all this stuff that I was cooking mm-hmm. and you were like, Oh, chefing it up. Right. And I was like, yeah, I know for myself that my week goes a lot better if I, have my lunches and stuff like already prepared because if I don't this, I don't know, TMI, I don't know, but if I don't eat enough during the day, like if I don't take a lunch break, by the time I get home, I'll eat really fast and then I feel sick afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, so like having food prepared, cause I have a short lunch break. So having food prepared that I can eat and be nourished and all of that kind of stuff, but I don't have to make any decisions about it yeah. is a way that I preemptively deal with like stuff that could be triggers or whatever, but mm-hmm. also recognizing the past two weeks I have not been doing that. And my week has been harder. Uh, so yes, that is one of the reasons why I was cooking all that stuff yesterday. Yeah. I was like, Oh, I noticed like the past two weeks have been kind of shitty. So this is something I can do for myself to make it easier. Yeah. Well, and it's so important to know those things in the moment. Mm-hmm. So, uh, good stuff. Yeah. I don't know that I have really anything else to add to this idea of triggers, but we have, 
we can just end a little bit early, which is yeah, totally fine. But that's is really there fun. any um, final thoughts or anything that you have to? Um, I guess my only thought would be like, be kind to yourself with that mm-hmm. stuff. And y'all know me, use it as data, mm-hmm. right? Of like, oh, um, and while sometimes I think for some people it can be disheartening to learn about a new trigger, like it's not what, it, what would it be like if we looked at that without judgment of just like, oh, wow, I just learned something new about myself. Huh? Yeah. Int- you, interesting. <laughs> you don't have to make any meaning out of it. You can just notice it and yeah. use it as information to go forward mm-hmm. of like, I know that when I watch Ghostface, I'm probably going to have a nightmare about it. So is that something that I want to do? What, you know, make informed decisions with your information. Yeah. I had no, I had no um, Ghostface dreams after watching that. I actually I had, um, I was going to, this is another reason why I told you that, to use that as a fact, is because I had my first Ghostface dream last night that I've had in a no. long time. But it wasn't super distressing, which was interesting, probably because I'm now, you know, almost 35 instead of nine but <laughs> yeah i had my first ghost face dream last night it was weird i'm looking for a i can't that is weird it's like i watched it and then you were like connected like i know twins. i didn't have a dream whenever we went and saw the um, new one but i did last night all right are you ready are we wrapping it up we're wrapped and ready for jokes okay here we go did you hear about the restaurant called karma no there's no menu. You get what you deserve. It's <laughs> pretty good. That is funny. That's another dad says jokes on I was Instagram. Gonna, sometimes the ones on the dad says are hard because they're not like punchline kind of jokes. Yeah. They're yeah, but that was good. You get what yeah. you love like it. it. Awesome. Thanks Fine. for listening, y'all. Yeah. I hope we didn't trigger anything. Well, Unless it was if we good did, I hope that you use your coping skills. That's one of the reasons why we talked about it after the coping skills episode was yeah. to... So you already get, had it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so use those coping skills, guys, and we will talk to you all later. Bye. Bye.